welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This podcast series provides a space for some fabulous people to share their stories and find a voice within our ever-changing world. It is a space that simply encourages sparky conversations, because there is most definitely always something to be learned from every interesting conversation, however unscripted. At its heart, this podcast is built on the belief that each of us experiences the world in our own unique way, meaning that we all have our own story to share. The Coffee and Conversation podcast aims to uncover a range of perhaps previously unheard stories in an informal, engaging way, so that we can all connect, explore, grow and learn from the great people behind these tales. Happy listening. My guest for this third podcast is Philippa Vellia, someone with whom I've connected in recent months over our shared interests in research and gender equity. Philippa describes herself as always having been active, particularly as a gymnast, and also playing a range of other sports, including tennis. She notes, however, that her real desire to play cricket was thwarted by a lack of opportunity or local team to join. These early experiences have certainly influenced Philippa's research interests, as she has spent a number of years exploring gender relations in cricket, gender and PE, and more latterly, gender and governance. Philippa currently works at Solent University as Head of Education and Sociology. Okay, so welcome to this, the I think third episode of Coffee and Conversation podcast. Um, today my guest is Philippa Villia, um, who um, I have, we've, we've actually never met in person, we've spoken a couple of times and we've been introduced through a mutual colleague um, and um, I'm really excited that I'm going to be writing a chapter for a book that um, Philippa is one of the Public producers, editors, editors, that's the word, um, of later in this year. So so welcome, Philippa. I have um, a coffee, half-drunk coffee in front of me. Um, I've noticed you've got a drink. Um, so you two have coffee. So, uh, so yeah, so welcome. So how are you? How are you doing this morning? I'm very good. And uh, thanks very much for inviting me to do this. Uh, it's really uh, exciting. And like you say, we haven't actually met, but um, we, we've had these conversations and it's been um, really good to put a sort of face to the name in terms of the communication that we've had around um, the book and, and your research as well. Yeah, excellent. So where in the, just paint a picture for us, where in the world are you? Because I can see on the, on the screen you're sitting by a, a window with a little bit of sunlight maybe coming through. Yes, although not as much as we have had. Um, I'm in um, Highcliffe um, in Dorset, so just outside um, Christchurch. Um, um, not too far from the sea, so you might hear some seagulls at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sat at my desk at, at home in uh, in Scotland, and I've noticed actually the last few days there's been so many birds. It's definitely nesting season. So this morning I I've sat here looking out, and there was a, a little long-tailed tit trying to get into the office, which I was like, oh, that'd be quite nice. Welcome them in, but but yeah, I haven't I haven't succumbed to that anyway yet. Um, so anyway, so let's let's talk quotes. Um, Mm-hmm. Now, I think you've brought two quotes along today that have got some meaning to you. So do you want to start by just sharing your sharing what you've brought along for us to, to start a conversation with? Yeah, so the, the, the first one was, um, I thought, quite apt for the current time. So it's great leadership is about um, creating environments in which everyone can thrive and uncover their best self but caring enough to appreciate that sometimes surviving is success. Yes, definitely. Uh, and I thought that this sort of summed up certainly in th- these times that, you know, I, I currently lead a, a team um, in higher education 
and obviously this is a huge adaptation and thinking about you know how for, for lots of people during this time you know it happened quite quickly people have caring responsibilities that might be children but even people without children might have their own challenges being in this lockdown period and that actually you know part of my role is supporting them but also reinforcing the fact that this is not business as normal <laughs> you know that, that sometimes you know just getting up and doing a couple of emails might might be <laughs> a huge achievement yeah definitely and that you know, I think that's a really interesting point because we you know I a lot of the time or there's a, there's lots of um stuff around almost looking at the new normal um and I think sometimes just sitting back and saying this is not normal you know it is weird it's okay to feel a bit odd um that kind of feels almost that we need to just keep reminding ourselves of that in yeah and that yeah it is okay just to almost sometimes get through the day in a muddle and that's okay yeah, and, and absolutely. And also for, for our students as well, you know, this is a huge mm. adaptation for them. You know, they probably a lot of them had to leave their accommodation, you know, their sort of daily lives, um, move back home. Um, you know, for, for some, they might have excellent facilities to be able to carry on learning. For others, it's, it's a huge um, mm. challenge. So, yeah, for, for me, that quite really stood out as as, as having real relevance in these current challenges and, and certainly thinking about my role in you know I've had a fabulous team they're absolutely amazing and they've really adapted fantastically um to this situation but just trying to, to think about my role in how I reassure them that you know that they, they're not going to be able to do everything that they normally do and that's okay Mm. And how have you found um, keeping in touch with your team? Because I'm assuming that they're spread over a, a reasonable geography and, um, you know, there's a few of them. So how have you found kind of keeping in touch? So we have weekly Zoom meetings. Um, to, to start with, there was a lot of communication coming from the centre of the university. And I think one of my roles was trying to make that succinct for the team and not trying to overload them um, and, and just trying to focus on what are the sort of key things that needed to be done quite quickly. Um, so we found Zoom meetings once a week, um, 40, 45 minutes to an hour, um, just to discuss what are some of the key issues, what are the things that need to be done. Um, email, I, I tend to only send like one or two emails a week, just again, sort of reinforcing what are the sort of key, key things Mm. Um, and then um, the, the team set up a sort of WhatsApp um, messaging group as well, um, which is, a, I suppose, a more informal way, but also a quick way if someone's, you know, got a question that they want answering. So, so actually the communication has worked, you know, bar barring some technical difficulties sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all faced those. Definitely. Yeah, that's worked, you know, actually that's worked better than I thought it would. I was a bit... You know, it's not something that we're used to doing. So um, I was a bit worried about that, but actually it's worked well. Mm. And I think that point around, you know, balance of communication, isn't it? How much is how much is enough and how much is too much? You know, that I think um, what I'm hearing from people is almost, you know, real mix. And some people are feeling overwhelmed, overloaded, whilst others are almost desperate for that communication. So I guess as a leader, it's, 
you know it's, it's quite challenging sometimes to just balance that and you know be available but also not overwhelming yeah and, and I think you know we all make mistakes don't we <laughs> um as leaders and mm-hmm. in, in of different um aspects of our lives so yeah I think I think you live and you live and learn sometimes with these absolutely absolutely and you said what's the other quote that you chose and and decided to that felt meaningful to you right now so my other quote was a great conversation can open up endless opportunity um and I think you know that that probably more broadly is something that throughout my academic career and sort of coming to think about sort of gender and gender relations in in sport which is where my sort of research interests lie is that throughout my sort of academic career talking to other people having conversations can really spark your own ideas can help challenge you but also working with those outside academia as well and you know trying to explain your research to other people its relevance its meaning that the, the, the conversations that you can have um, can really not just open up opportunities, but challenge you. And I think that's really important. Definitely. And, and I'm just reflecting on, you know, I suppose a couple of times that we've spoken in terms of, you know, that you start off almost with no agenda and you end up, um, you know, kind of going down lots of different routes and making connections. And, and yeah, it just helps you sort of um, think about things. And actually, in a in a, you know, in a very relevant way that's almost the you know comes back to the purpose and the the aims behind this podcast in terms of sharing some of those conversations um just that it's always something to be learned um and i think interestingly maybe maybe sort of taking this towards some of the the gender um discussions and work that, that you're involved with in terms of being able to see pe- different people's perspectives and understanding that you know whilst we may experience the same thing or you know I don't know discussion or conversation or, or or life experience what we take from it might be very different depending on who we are and, and how we see the world um yeah definitely and I, I think I, I, over my time I think I've probably grown in that that area in terms of when, when I first started studying gender um particularly if I go back to sort of my PhD which was around sort of gender and cricket um, at a time, well, it will be nearly, probably close to 15, 18 years actually ago. So at a time where less was known about the sort of women's game, I'd have conversations with people who'd say, well, why are you interested in that? What's the relevance mm. of that? And I think I used to be quite defensive um, about that. Whereas I think, you know, with time, I've sort of learned um a to articulate why it's important to to study these topics but also accept that people who are coming to understand gender or or haven't necessarily thought about gender in their everyday lives of course you know if if you would spark a conversation with that with somebody about those issues then it's not an easy conversation Mm. and you know people don't necessarily see your point of view and I I think it's just been a a sort of learning curve in in and and which continues to be so I think 
Mm. And let's, you know, just picking up on, on one of the things you said there, you know, understanding why it's important to dis- discuss these topics. So perhaps that's uh, that might be a nice a nice place to explore a little bit further in terms of, you know, getting your um, perspective on, you know, why is it important that we, you know, we acknowledge that there are gender inequalities and, and that actually we, we do need to focus and understand some of the issues behind those? Well, I think certainly when I when I think about sort of the, the themes that have been throughout my research, I think that what one of the sort of key aims it, for me has been about making visible women's sports um, historically as well as presently. So if you look at something like women's cricket or, um, you know, w- women's involvement in sport, that, that we have a sort of a rich history of of the game that we actually make visible that you know if you think about something like women's cricket that women have been playing since 1745 you know that there was a women's cricket association that was run by women for women um that there was an international women's cricket council all, all before current structures um, around, you know, the sort of merger and the sort of post-1998 history. I think it's really important that we look at the sort of history and we make visible stories of women, because otherwise it's an erased history and, and the sort of discourse that, you know, that, that men's sport was the norm <laughs> Mm. becomes accepted and I think it's really important to challenge that and say actually no you know women have been involved throughout history um as as well as presently and also to try and understand certainly how women have managed their role in male dominated sports I think is quite important as well in terms of you know, if you look at something like the Women's Cricket Association, how they developed, um, how they were able to sort of progress their sport in a quite a separatist environment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think looking at the sort of so thinking about sort of women's involvement in sport as a sort of social history for gender relations as well. So what does women's involvement in sport tell us about broader gender relations, i.e. education, um, there there is a link there often yeah absolutely and I think it's in as you're talking I'm just sort of making connections in my head almost between your leadership quote and the conversation quote and where this you know our our conversation now is going in in that sense of um, if we look at the world um, of sport perhaps now um, it you know arguably it is very male dominated in positions of leadership still um, although there are you know big strides being taken around you know shifting the the balance on boards and structures and those sorts of things but almost how do we go forward and ensure that there is that women's voice within that broader that broader conversation um, because often like you say if it's hidden then you know, we, we don't see what's needed or what's relevant. And, and in my head as well, there's a quote, and I can't remember who, who said this, but talked about, you know, privilege being invisible to those who have it. So how do we ensure that, you know, that, that female voice is, is being heard within the, the, you know, the, the broader spectrum of, of what we see on a daily basis? So maybe those sorts of things, you know, those are coming into my mind as you're, as you're talking. How, how, how do those sort of things... You know, does that spark anything in your own mind? And are there things in your research that you know would be interesting for 
for us to to follow now yeah i mean i think it's quite interesting actually when 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 we look at some of the current uh, you know initiatives around trying to encourage women um uh, and having more women on boards uh, and you know the role that sort of sport england have play, played in that um but i think it's important to take take a step back sometimes as well and and actually in the book um raf nicholson is um writing a chapter on um the sports council and the merger and takeover of women's sport because prior to the sort of 1990s if you look at the boards of women's sports and the leaders of women's sport they were all women mm. The coaches were often all women in something like cricket or the umpires. The, the um, Women's Cricket Association insisted that at international matches that a woman umpired um, the game. So mm -hmm. I think it's quite, yeah, so I think it's quite important to, to sort of uncover that history. And then we have this period of sort of mergers with men and women's sports, which... You know that there have been huge advantages to that in terms of the professionalization of women's sport and, and money going into the women's game but the flip side of that is that there has been a reduction in women at board level in leading women's sport and in the sort of coaching governance area as well and, and, and I think that's quite an interesting dynamic to to look at during that time period that yeah, that is, and I'd not really thought about that aspect before. And you know, it's it's almost that you know, think about mergers and acquisitions and, and takeovers. It's almost arguably let's let's put this out there in terms of you know maybe men's sport took over women's sport as opposed to the genuine. When you look at those genuine de definitions of mergers and cultures and and how those go. So yeah, so that's I, I had I'd not thought about that before, but that does that does definitely offer a really interesting perspective. Um, and you mentioned the book and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to contributing a chapter. You know, how did that come about? You know, where's the sort of the um, it's around sport and sport governance and, and you know, gender aspects within there. So, you know, where where did the ideas and the inspiration come and, and how have you gone about kind of collating the group of people that you have to, to contribute to it? Yeah, so the, the book is um, um, gender um, equity and um, in sport leadership and governance and the, actually that quote about a great conversation can op open up endless opportunity is probably a good one here as well because um, Lucy um, Pickett, who is the other um, co-editor of, of the, the text, is somebody that I met at a conference um, a couple of years ago. Um, she was presenting her PhD. We've kind of kept in touch. Um, my research a couple of years ago looked at particularly around the Women's Cricket Association and the merger with the ECB in 1998 and the ongoing impact of that on women's cricket in terms of where there has been huge developments for the women's game but looking at particularly at this dynamic between you know there was a rich history and experience of those working in the Women's Cricket Association that overnight pretty much disappeared as they went into the England, um, the ECB structure. So I've always been quite interested in that sort of element. And the discussions that I had with Lucy were that there's quite a lot of 
research talking about sort of the policy element, which is really important because that's um, you know having an impact in this area. But really, for us, we wanted to look at what are the day-to-day -day challenges for women working in sports organisations, and not not to ignore the fact around statistical changes because they do tell us something they are important no. but actually to really uncover what are the day-to-day -day challenges and experiences of women working in these environments um, and, and how do they navigate their way through these quite male-dominated um, environments yeah I can I can empathize with uh, with some of those uh, those uh, last sentiments in terms of just reflecting on my own experience working within sport and you know I'm, I'm really looking forward to pulling together my research interests which is around authentic leadership within sport and coaching but also being able to you know use some of my practical experience and kind of merge the two and, and bring those to life through through uh, through yeah what I what I end up crafting in my chapter so yeah I'm really looking forward to it and I think you know, it, it is really relevant, that sense of reality sometimes. Um, and, you know, just bringing to life the, the stories and that practical um, experience against the sort of um, overview of policy and, okay, this is what we're doing and investing. And, and I do find it quite interesting a lot of some time um, that a lot of the time the people who are advocating a lot of the change, you know, what we what we hear is a, a male voice talking about the need for women and, and almost in my mind, and I'm not sure what the research or the justification is, but it's almost like the men, men are saving the women. And it's almost maybe in a weird kind of way, reinforcing the stuff that we're actually trying to, to counter. Um, you know, what's, I mean, what's your experience as well in a, in an academic world, um, because often we do see that that male female imbalance within, particularly within university structures and HE structures, particularly perhaps as you progress up up through the ranks, so to speak. Yeah, and certainly I'm just thinking about so my, my first academic role, I was the only um, female member of um, that team. There were about 15, 20 members of staff. Mm -hmm. um, it was a sports department, so quite heavily male-dominated. Um, I was quite a junior member of staff. Um, it was my first academic post. I was just finishing my PhD. Um, and I, I think at the time, although my research was about gender, <laughs> I didn't necessarily think about my role as the only female at that that stage it to be honest it was probably more survival mode for lots of reasons my first yeah. academic post um but it was a very male dominated um space um but but you know during that time one of the things I did have the opportunity to do was to develop a sort of gender and sport module mm -hmm. and um you know this actually students really you know, engage with some of those topics. So I think I, fa I found a sort of space to, to, to be able to discuss some of those topics and um, issues. But yeah, it was certainly a challenging environment. And certainly if you look at a lot of sports departments, you'll, you'll see a, a very heavily dominated um, male-female um, ratio. And certainly as I've moved into sort of more heads of department or sort of leadership roles, 
in both of the roles that I've had, that I've really tried to diversify the team and and bring on more female academics to to balance those teams out. Well, actually, it's interesting the point you make about you know when you were in it as a you know a younger um, and aspiring researcher academic you don't think about it in those necessarily imbalanced terms. And certainly I'm just reflecting on my, you know, experience and it's perhaps only um, since I've been out of the environment, um, you know, I worked in golf for a number of years before that sport as a whole. Uh, and it's only really in recent years that I reflect back and kind of think, Oh yeah, I did. I do notice that when I was in it, it was what you did daily day to day. And it was kind of, it became part of that. That was the culture and that was what you get used to. Um, so it is, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, um, I don't know, reflection maybe in terms of it's only when you are able to maybe step out and look back or look up into that it becomes visible. Um, and what comes to mind is, I think I've shared this with you when we last, when we spoke last, um, the fable of the um, peacock in a penguin factory. Um, if you Google that on the, on the YouTube or wherever it is, um, it's just a really interesting um, fable written by um, a couple of people who talk about this um, idea of a penguin factory and they want to be different so they recruit a peacock um and to cut a very long story story probably spoil the ending for everybody after a couple of weeks they ask the peacock to dress up as a penguin because it would be much easier for them to accept their new ideas so you know it's that kind of idea that we do get swept up in culture and, and just don't realize what's going on around us and perhaps that brings us back to your you know your your your, your sort of almost opening point around that's about making the hidden unhidden and much more visible um, because if it's invisible then we you know it just becomes part of that I suppose um do, how does that one, seem yeah I mean I think it's one of the challenges of sometimes doing research in this area as well because a lot of women that you speak to who have either played sport or who are, who are in these sort of structures yeah they they don't often articulate their experiences in relation to gender <laughs> So, so it, it can be quite challenging, I think, as a researcher in this area to, you know, the, for some people, it might be the first time that they've really thought about their experiences have of being gendered. Mm. And they may resist that quite adamantly. So they might say, well, I've never had any problems, you know, that um, the men in the organisation are really supportive. And, and, and of course, that is their experience of that so it's it's you have to be careful how you how you challenge that yeah. but it's it's it is certainly um something that is that can be challenging if you're if you're researching in this area of gender because people haven't necessarily thought about their experiences in the way that you are researching them yeah absolutely and, and i you know i definitely think i think back to to actually throughout my whole career and you know played sport and, and a lot of the times and almost you just do what you do and it's you get used to that and you know it is your experience and things feel okay um and actually you don't want to think that maybe I was held back because I was female or I didn't get that um so yeah I've definitely got a very different perspective having I suppose stepped away a little bit from being involved day-to-day in a sports basis and being able to just look around and and almost giving myself time and space to reflect back on my own experience and perhaps look at it through a different lens I suppose in a way um but yeah there's some yeah some I, I like that idea and, and I'm just thinking more about you know making the hidden unhidden um and you know being really visible and, and those conversations and being sometimes brave enough to have those conversations um which perhaps 
is challenging at times. Yeah, and it's about challenge. I think that narrative, isn't it? That, that there are there is lots of you know good good things going on in terms of the sports sector and you know trying to make changes. But I think it's really important that there is also a sort of narrative that continues around the everyday experiences that that people might still be facing in different contexts. And, and there's probably a spectrum, you know in terms of different types of experiences that people have in different organisations around sort of organisational culture, which I think um, Lucy um, talks a lot about in her research. Um, because, you know, some, some environments might be very hostile mm. <laughs> to women um, and, and those some of those experiences actually can still be quite shocking around women's experiences in those environments. Mm -hmm. But it's also about the more subtle, I think, um experiences that women have in in organizations that need to to be discussed as well yeah i suppose it's the level of like yeah i like that idea of that spectrum in terms of the level of um you know bias some of it is pretty overt um and obvious stereotyping and challenges and um whereas i suppose some of the some of the more unconscious i suppose we we hear the word the term unconscious bias used a lot more now when in relation to diversity and inclusion and and perhaps it's those more subtle things and where the culture has been like that for a long time it's that you know used to and 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 perhaps there there's something in terms of um just raising that consciousness of both men and women in terms of um actually this is not an equal society um and kind of making sometimes you know having to be a bit more overt about that um particularly things like the gender pay gap and, and things like that are becoming more it's making us more aware of okay we might like to think we are all um you know non-discriminatory and open and inclusive you know the reality and some of the data suggests actually we still have that um that real gap and and being really maybe more conscious about that as a whole so I think some of those will come out in your in the book as well I think yeah absolutely I think um you know that there's um some some really good examples in the, the chapters that um people are contributing to around sort of case studies um and looking at um, contemporary examples of sort of women leaders experiences in different organizations and I think I think that's it's really important that we consider the, those range of experiences that people have in these spaces. Mm -hmm. I think just maybe drawing this to drawing this to a close because I can quite happily sit and talk gender and, and all sorts and research all day. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just maybe thinking, sort of going back to your quotes around leadership and, and surviving, um, mm -hmm. and the, the conversations and this idea of you know making the hidden unhidden. Um, you know what a what maybe are your reflective points or if you know there's something that you'd like to leave people with just to to compliment contemplate or summarize you know what's the sort of things that you would be you would like to share with people yeah I mean for me I'd stress that you know it is important that we sort of understand um women's experiences in sport and leisure actually more broadly I think and I think make, making visible um women who have been involved in sport historically, I think is something that, that has become really important to me throughout my research and looking at the sort of long-term changes. So it's, it's great that we have 
policy and we look at the current context, but it's really important that we think about sort of long-term changes and the sort of history of women's sports so that when we are thinking about sort of gender equity today, how did we get here? <laughs> and we understand much um, more about the sort of challenges and the things that have worked in terms of gender equity in sport and, and those long-term changes to give us a better understanding, I think, of why we are where we are now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really like the idea of let's understand where it's worked and the good stuff, because quite often we do get bogged down in the, oh, this is terrible, it's not working. Um, but actually, let's look at those bright spots of where things are really positive um, mm -hmm. through case studies or experiences or whatever and say well, what what can we understand about those to really try and enhance things going forward because there is some amazing work going on and there's some really positive developments um, so how do we build for those for the long term I guess that's that's a that's perhaps a key message understand where we've come from in order to put the context today but also to build for a, a more equal future maybe yeah and I think the other thing I'd, I'd just sort of stress as well is that, yeah, that also trying to understand those everyday experiences as part of that. Um, you know, so the macro level is, is really important to understand, but also that everyday experience for women who are working in sport who are, who, or who are playing sport. You know, what are the ongoing sort of subtle challenges that are still faced in these areas? Absolutely. Um, so thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day um, to thank share you some much. of your, your thoughts with us. Um, and yeah, so you can, what's the rest of your day got in store for you? I have got some um, editing work to do. I'm just um, writing a paper with a colleague um, around um, cricket and the um, No Boundaries campaign, actually. So, oh, Excellent. Well, there's a, there's a mutual connection. I'm, I'm going to talk about... Um, emotional and psychological boundaries later today so we've kind of got a, okay. got a bit of, yeah. a, more of a connection um so yeah thank you very much for your time a great conversation mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i'm really excited and looking forward to pulling together my my contribution to the book and saying it's published later in the year yeah we're, we're great that you you came on board and um thanks thanks ever so much um for inviting me to do this yeah good to talk to you you have been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. My thanks again to my guest, Philippa Vellia, and also to you for listening. If you'd like to read more about Philippa's work and research, a list of her publications is available on her profile page at the Solent University website. Until the next time, take care.